Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Philemon this morning, which means that we're continuing our study on the subject of forgiveness as well. Last week, I tried to introduce the book by really giving you a little bit of uh, context in which the book was written to better understand it, and also by introducing you to some of the major characters within the book itself. And so last week, what we saw is that this book is, is really a letter. It's a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul to a man by the name of Philemon. Not Philemonin, that would be weird, but Philemon. And uh, excuse me. And what he does is he writes to him and he encourages him uh, to forgive and to seek reconciliation with a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus, who both defrauded and stole from Philemon. Now, that's a difficult thing to be able to do. Uh, back in the 60s, even though I was but a twinkle in my mother's eye, uh, there was a singer-songwriter that many of you know, Neil Sadaka. You know him, young people. Uh, good old Neil. Um, some of you do, and you're showing your age. We love you. But good old Neil Sadaka uh, wrote a song entitled, and you might even know the song, went all the way to the charts, number one for many weeks. Uh, the song was... Um, I can't remember it. The song was, there it is, now I remember, Breaking Up is Hard to Do, da, 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 right? And uh, see, see, the responses are great. The older people are sitting there going, oh, music when it was music. And the young people are like, dude, don't ever do that again, right? Uh, so wh- wherever you are in the crowd, let me just say this. I, I would suggest that, that he's right. Neil was right. Uh, breaking Up is Hard to Do. When you enter into a relationship with somebody, whether it be a friendship, whether it be a partnership in business, whether it be marriage, whatever it is, and, and sin enters into that relationship, well, it's painful to break that thing apart. It's painful because you've lived your life together. You've done life together. You've looked after each other. You loved each other. And so when, when that thing begins to get broken apart because of someone's sin within the relationship, most, most of the time both sin, and you break and go your way, that's difficult to do. But as difficult as that is to break up, Paul would suggest, and I, and I agree with him, that it is far more difficult to forgive and to seek to reconcile with somebody has purposely hurt you through their sinful actions towards you. That is far, far more difficult. So what Paul does, now remember, that's what we're dealing with here. That's the position that Philemon finds himself in. And now Paul's encouraging him to forgive and to reconcile with a guy who has done him wrong and caused great pain in his life. So Paul knows this isn't probably going to be easy. So what he does is he lays out a case for forgiveness for Philemon and yes, for us too. And he begins, I think, exactly where he needs to begin. He begins with the heart, the heart. Let me say this. Unless we have a right heart and the heart to forgive, reconciliation will never be possible. You can never reconcile with another person unless we have a heart that is willing to forgive. Now, the question is, what does that heart look like? And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning and try to answer. This morning, we see two marks of a forgiving heart, two marks of a forgiving heart. First of all, what we see in the text is this. A heart that forgives is a heart that is transformed by God. A heart that forgives is a heart that is transformed by God. Now, notice, if you will, beginning in verse four, follow along in your Bibles. The Bible says here, Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Remember, he's writing this to Philemon. Now, what Paul is not saying, he's not saying, hey, you know, Philemon, the only thing I think about all day long is you. All right, that would just be weird, okay? Uh, Instead, he's saying saying this. He's saying, uh, when I think of you and when I pray for you, 
the only thing that comes to my mind, the only thing that comes to my heart, and the only thing that comes out of my mouth is praise to God for you. So understand this relationship. For Paul, there, he, he didn't have a negative thought or a negative thing to say about Philemon. When he looked at his, there was nothing that he was concerned about. When he looked at his, his character, when he looked at his actions, when he, when he, when he heard about his speech, he, he didn't feel like he had to correct him in anything. Now, this doesn't mean that he was, a, he was a, a perfect man, but it does mean that he's blameless. In essence, he's a mature believer in Jesus Christ, that God has done a huge work in him. Now, stop and think for a moment how encouraging this had to be for Paul. Uh, there were a lot of people during this time that were seeking Paul out to help them to navigate through this Christian life and to try to figure it out. And many times, Paul would have to write letters to different churches. We have many of them in our Bible. And he would have to write these letters in rebuke of the way that some people were living out their Christian life. Sometimes he would give great detail and instruction to tell them what they should be doing or what they should not be doing. And anytime he did that, you know it had to be difficult for him. I think one of the classic examples of this is found in his letter to, to the Corinthians. He had heard so many negative reports about how they were living their lives. He, he becomes so frustrated that in 1 Corinthians 4.21, he wrote this, shall I come to you with a rod? I'm not sure exactly what that means, but that just doesn't sound like a very good thing, Right? And so what happens is when he has to write these things and when he has to write these corrections, certainly it, it disrupts his heart. It saddens him. Just like we, when we have to discipline and correct our children, it's not something that we enjoy to do. And he doesn't enjoy to do this. But with Philemon, it's completely different. There's no correction that he has to give. When he thinks of Philemon, all he does, it's all positive and it's all encouraging all the time. And he's grateful for him. But did you notice something that, 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 that Paul doesn't say, hey, I, I, I'm grateful for you? He, what does he say instead? He, he, he says instead he, th he doesn't thank Philemon, he thanks who? God. He says, I thank my God when I remember you. Now listen, there are times that we should be sharing and thanking each other, don't, don't you? For the life that we live and the jobs that we do, there's nothing wrong with that. There's appropriate times and places for that. But I think that Paul here strategically chooses not to do that. Instead of him thanking Philemon, he thanks God for Philemon. Why? I think he's doing it to encourage him. I think he's doing it strategically. I think what he's saying is this, is he's saying, hey, listen, Philemon, I want to encourage you because not only myself, but everybody else who comes and contacts you, listen to this, sees the clear work of God in your life. I think what he's saying is that we saw characteristics in you, Philemon, that can only be explained by the evidence of God's saving work in you. Do, do you get it? He's saying you live your life in such a way that is not even humanly possible. The only way to explain your life is that God supernaturally is active working inside of your life. That's quite a testimony, is it not? He says, the only way that we can explain this. Now, the question there is, is, is this, is what is it that he's seeing? What are these characteristics that he's seeing that gives him, uh, that, that makes him believe that God's at work in him, the evidence that God has saved him? Two things. We see him in verse five. Notice verse five. He says, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, there are two things who are listed here, but before I list them, uh, let me explain something. A little sidetrack here. What we have here in the Greek language is what we know as a chiastic construction in the Greek. There you go. That was free. All right? Chiastic construction. Let me explain why I'm telling you it. And what that simply means is this. 
whatever comes first in the sentence uh, really parallels what is mentioned last in the sentence. So, so in, for this case, he says, I've heard about your love. And so what we know is because it's a chi- chiastic construction in the Greek, just follow with me, what that means is it goes, uh, it's speaking of whatever comes at the end of the sentence. That means that he's talking about, he's heard about the love that he has for the saints and the faith that he has for Christ. So those are the two things that he's seen, that he's heard in the life of this man that makes him believe that God is at work in his life. Now, what do these things mean? Well, let's talk about his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ first. Notice he says that I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus. First of all, that's in the present tense. He says, I hear. In other words, he's constantly hearing these things. It's not like somebody said, hey, man, I heard you were a good guy 20 years ago. All right, that's not very encouraging. But when you say, hey, listen, I hear all the time. All the time, all throughout the day, people coming to me and telling me how much faith you have in Christ. And what does it mean to have faith in Christ? I think we have to be clear with that in our context. He means faith in Christ is that he's bananas about Jesus. He means that he's all about Jesus. He's concerned about Jesus. He wants to know him. He wants to know his will, and he wants to do his will. He loves what Jesus loves, and he hates what Jesus hates. By the way, that's great evidence and confirmation to whether you're truly in the faith or not. If you're struggling with whether you're truly born again and the only thing you have to show for it is walking an aisle, signing a card and getting wet at your baptism and that's what you're clinging to, you're in big trouble. But if you turn around and say, here, all I know is this, I love Jesus, I wanna know his will, I wanna know him and I wanna do it and there's evidence of you pursuing that and you're loving what he loves and hates what he hates, well then congratulations, you're probably very much a child of God. And what he says here, he says, look, Philemon has been doing all of these things. He sees this clear work inside of his life. But here's what he wants to know is he can't take, he can't take any, uh, any praise for it because the faith that he has in Jesus Christ was a gift to him. It wasn't something that he worked up inside himself. Paul will later say in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now, you know this verse, say it with me. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, say this with me, it is a gift of God. So, so, so here is this man. He has defined everybody who sees him, knows that God is working in him. Why? Because of his continual faith for God. He's continuing wanting to know the will of God. He's continuing to do the will of God. Here's the second thing that he sees. Not only his faith in Jesus, but also his love for the saints. Now, the word love here is the word love that describes a love of the will. It's a self-sacrificing type of love. Again, love is evidence that a person has truly been born again by, by God. Jesus, or, or Paul will later give a list of spiritual fruits. And the very first on that list is, guess what, is, is love. And, and guess what? He says, what he's saying is, we see in your life that you are loving other brothers and sisters in Christ in a continual way. But how did he learn to love that way? How does he learn to love that? Well, how do we learn to love one another? Who teaches it? Now, I could get up and preach a sermon. Hey, I'm gonna preach a sermon series on how to love one another, but I can't teach you how to love. All I could do is show you ways to go about carrying that out, the love that you have for other believers. I could say, hey, give somebody else your seat. Hey, uh, let somebody walk in, you know, open up their door for them. I could tell them all these things, but I cannot instruct you on how to go about loving another individual. Why? Because that teaching doesn't come from man comes from God. In 1 Thessalonians, here's what Paul says. So you, so you know this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. He says, now concerning brotherly love, that's what we're talking about. 
He says, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. How does a believer in Jesus Christ, how is he taught by God to love one another? He is taught because he's experienced that type of brotherly love from Jesus Christ. Remember, this is all the gospel. Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross for undeserving sinners. When he extends himself to save you and to forgive you of your sins and to allow his sacrifice to be applied to your sin and to your account, what is he doing? That's a picture of brotherly love. He's giving people something that they ultimately, (coughs) excuse me, do not deserve. And when we experience in that, we learn it. And now, because we've received that kind of, of unconditional love, we now know how to extend unconditional love to other people. So get what he's saying. Just make sure we're all on the same page. He says, man, I thank my God for you because the work of God in your life is clearly evident through your faith that you have in Jesus, that you're all about Jesus and his will and doing his will. And I have confidence in God's work in you because of the love that you have for other people because that's not humanly possible. It has to be given to you by God. And the only way you have it is because you've received the free gift of eternal life. Now, we understand what it means, but what in the world does any of this have to do with forgiving Onesimus? What does it have anything to do with forgiveness? What is Paul trying to come at? And this is what I struggle with all week. Let, let, me, let me say, it in the, I was thinking, I was coming up with all this stuff, then I said, finally came to me, here's what he's doing. Have you ever been encouraged by somebody else who looked at your life and they were encouraged by your walk with Jesus Christ? In other words, they looked at you and they go, man, I just wanna let you know, man, I, I'm encouraged by you because you're a man of God or a woman of God and I've been watching you, and you're a guy who wants to know the word. You want to do the word of God. You want to do the will of God. And I can see you in your life and every aspect of your life doing the will of God. Now, say somebody comes up to you like that, right? What is your first response? Well, the first response, probably because of our sinfulness, is go, yeah, I'm pretty good, aren't I, right? It may be. But let me tell you what you don't do, okay? What you don't do is you don't sit there after the person says you've been obedient in all these areas, you sit there and go, man, all of a sudden I have a hankering to cheat on my wife. Hey, I have a hankering to go on a, on a drinking bin, this bender this weekend. No, what do you do? When you receive that kind of encouragement, it doesn't encourage you to do wrong. It encourages you to do what is right. Do you see where he's going with this? He's sitting there and he's going, and I would have never thought to have made an argument like this. He comes to him, not from a negative side, going, you've got to, to forgive. He's playing on what this man already is. He's saying, dude, you've been changed by God. It's evident to all of us. You're about his will. You're about, you're about loving the brother. He goes, now, just continue to do what everybody knows is true for your life. Now, do the will of God, which is forgiving those that have sinned against you and to seek to reconcile them. And it's also demonstrating the love that you've already showed. You know, when I read one of these things and I hear Paul's affections, it, it really, I don't want to seem phony with this. I, I want you to know my heart for you and for our whole church here. Uh, when I read this, I go, Paul, I identify with you. And names and faces of many of you come to my mind. And I begin to think of you, and I begin to think, and some of us have known each other for 15 years, some 10 years, some two years, whatever it is, some very even shorter periods of time. But some of you, many of you, I've looked at your life, and I'm like, God's hand's all over them. The work of God is all over them. I've seen you struggle. I've seen you. The reason you're here is because you want to know Jesus. 
The reason you come and you study the word of God is because you want to know the will of God for your life. And I've seen and I've been there in the trenches with many of you as you struggled through your marriage and struggled through the difficulties and struggled through your finances and struggled through your theology. And as you're working through all of those, I see the clear hand of God in and through your life. So here's the encouragement. The encouragement is you've done all that. The whole trajectory of your life is in pursuit and obedience to God and the love of his people. I just want to encourage you all the more. Just keep doing what you're doing, but now include extending forgiveness for those that have harmed you and hurt you so badly and seek to reconcile them. It's just a continuation of what you're already doing. Follow it. Seek it. I hope we don't think that we can come this morning and say, hey, listen, I'm going to come. I want to learn about God, and here's a tendency, but at the same time, I'm going to pursue him, and I'm going to go on with my life, and I'm going to go on with him without at least seeking reconciliation with somebody who has either sinned against you or you've ultimately sinned against. He says, er, you got to stop. He says it this way in the word. He says, if you have an offering, leave the offering. Go to your brother and reconcile. You see, you see, you see where we're going here? And so the idea here is, is just this, for you who have been born again, we see it. For you who have a passion for Jesus Christ, who are here because you want to know more, all we're doing, all Paul's doing is encouraging you, just keep going. Keep doing the will of God. Keep, do, keep loving each other in the way that you do that is through the forgiveness and the reconciliation with those who've sinned against you. You got that? Do this or this. Don't do this. All right, too many. Let's go move on to the second one. So two things we see. First of all, a heart of forgiveness is a heart that is transformed by God. Number two, A heart that forgives is a heart that transforms others. All right, now notice verse six. Very difficult sentence, by the way. We're gonna have to parse it out, break it apart here. Notice he says, and I pray that the the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, what is he telling us to do? In In the beginning of the sentence, it sounds like he's calling us to evangelize, doesn't it? He says to him, he says, he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith, normally when you and I are encouraging each other to be witnesses, we go, hey man, how are you doing in sharing your faith? Are you sharing with your family? Are you sharing with your friends? Are you sharing with your coworkers? You guys with me? Let me know you're alive. Just do this, okay? Isn't that right? And so we do that. That's not what Paul is doing here. What Paul is doing instead, he's not talking about uh, evangelism. He's actually talking about fellowship. See, the word translated sharing here in the Greek is actually the Greek word koinonia that many of you are probably familiar with. Most of the time in the New Testament it is translated as fellowship. Now, what is Christian fellowship? It's the deepest relationship you can have with another brother and sister in Christ, this side of heaven. It's literally, and I hate this phraseology, it's doing life together. It's such a cool time. Let's do life together. I don't even know what that means at the time. But if by doing life together, what we mean is that your and my relationship is based on one central key figure, not football or any other special event or whatever it is, special interest, but is based upon the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of that fellowship. And within that fellowship, what we do is we learn to rejoice together. When things are going great, when God answers prayer, we rejoice together. When things are going bad, when we're struggling with sin, we learn to cry with each other. We bear one another's burdens. 
The Bible says that we are edifying in building up each other in the faith and we're serving one another and we're using everything we are to be able to do it in that fellowship. We're using our gifts, we're using our abilities, we're using our time, we're using our finances, we're using it all, listen to this, to build each other up in the faith and encourage each other. That's Christian fellowship. Now, what I want you to see here is this. I want you to know that Paul is not getting on to Philemon. He's not turning to him and goes, dude, you need to get with it. He's not doing as, you know, the writer of Hebrews does in Hebrews 13, 5, where he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some now do. He's not saying that to him. Why? Because Philemon is already in fellowship. He's praising him and he's praising God for the fellowship that he has with the brethren. This is, look, this guy is the king. He's the, he's the poster child. He, he opens up his home for the entire church of Colossae and says, yeah, have church at my house. He serves food, he takes care of people, huge financial burden upon himself. He brings them all in. This man is living his life with the other people. He's pouring into them, they're pouring into him. And, and what is he most likely doing? Through this whole process, he, he's probably, he's, he's teaching them and he's, and, and, and he's ministering to them. So, so he's not saying, hey, listen, you need to get your act together and get in fellowship. Some of us feel that way, right? I mean, we'll talk to some folks and say, how you doing? Well, man, I really need to get in fellowship, right? Right, we feel that way. He's not saying that to Philemon. Philemon gets a gold star beside his name. What Paul is doing is he's praying that the fellowship and the ministry that he already has to the rest of the saints becomes, here's his word, not mine, more effective, more effective. The Greek word, therefore, effective, literally means to be energized. He goes, we want your fellowship to be put on steroids. We want to take this baby through the roof. We want to really get this thing pumped up and moving. That's his desire for him. Now, how is he going to do it? Here's a man who's been faithful to God, loving his brother, in fellowship with other people, impacting the lives of other people. He says, now this is going to take it out of the stratosphere. Here's what you need to do. He says, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. Now, let me explain. The word knowledge there is talking about wisdom and understanding, but it's talking about two types of wisdom and, 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 and understanding, both intellectual and, check this out, experiential. It's not just something that we cognitively know. It's something that we've experienced ourselves. It's that type of knowledge. Now, up to this point, stop and think with me. Just track with me for a moment. Here's Philemon opening up his home, loving people. Everybody who sees him is like, dude, that guy's the real deal. He loves Jesus. He loves each other. He's pouring in. He's not an elder of a church, so he's not a pastor. So he doesn't have the official position of teaching the flock, but you better believe he's in there leading and teaching the flock. You, you with me? He's in there and he's sharing, and that's what fellowship is. That's what koinonia is, sharing the word with one another as God's teaching us. And there he is as he's teaching with those brothers and sisters in Christ. What is he going to be teaching on? What What's going to be his topic? How to, your best life now? Is that what he's teaching him? No, what he's teaching him is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's pouring that into them. And there might be some unbelievers that are there too. So again, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here is what, uh, here's what Paul's saying to him. Bro, you've got it together. You're doing the right thing. You're having Christian fellowship. You're having an impact on all of these people's life. I want you to take it to the highest level possible. Now, I want you to take what you keep saying with your mouth and I want you to live it out and put it on full display for everyone to see. What? What is he putting on full display? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what, how, how does he do that? By forgiving and seeking reconciliation with a man that has sought to destroy him, his home, his family, and his business. You say, how does that illustrate the gospel? Is it not the gospel? 
Have you not in everything before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the, 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 the faith that you now have because it was a gift to you, did you not do everything you could to unend God, to be your own God, to do everything according to your will, to give everything that God has ultimately given you and to keep it for yourself? If you say no, you're lying. It's exactly what we all do before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We want nothing to do with him. We rob from him. We steal from him. We go our own way. We, we intend harm on him. And God, in his mercy and grace, his unmerited favor for us, we do nothing. He extends forgiveness to us and invites us back into a relationship as though we had never wronged him to begin with. You know what we need? We we, we share all the time. Guys, share your faith, share your faith, share your faith, share your faith. We don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. We need to do it more. You, we all agree. Need to share it more. All right, guilty. Need to share it more. We keep talking about going. We talk about here locally. We keep talking to the uttermost parts of the earth to get the gospel where it's not. We're all about that. But as equally as important as sharing the gospel, we must put the gospel on display. We have so many families here that are being so faithful to teach their kids and raise them in the admonition of Christ. And we're doing, just like this camp out that we're talking about, we're doing that to try to teach you how to do that and be people of the book. We're teaching, we're giving you those tools. We're giving you those opportunities. It's important to us. It's what God has called you to be. And as we're working through that, your kids need to hear the gospel and you keep sharing the gospel with them so that they know what it is. But nothing will really impact them as much of hearing it and seeing it, and how do they see the gospel? When they know the people who have hurt you deeply, when you take it upon yourself to take the same mercy and the grace of God and bend it outwards to those that have hurt you and have hurt others. See, let me say this. Sometimes we'll sit back, and I've had other people say this to me. Brother Mike, I can forgive anybody for whatever they did for me, but I can't forgive such and such because they hurt my child. You are not more godly nor a better parent because you say and feel that way. You are not. You are just more steeped in your sin. That's hard, but it's true. What happens is what a child needs to be able to see is those people who have harmed you and done ill towards you or maybe even done ill towards your child for you to be able to sit back and say, I'll forgive them. Does this not reek of the gospel? Is it not the son of God that we sacrificed on the cross, that we beat and shamed and nailed to the cross, and yet the son again says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do? And then the Bible in turn says, you must forgive as you you have been forgiven. What better way? What better way? to show the gospel to our children and to our friends and our families, to be quick to forgive, be quick to reconcile, even for those sins and that, that's those difficult things that are so harsh and so... Look, I don't underestimate for a moment. As a pastor for 20 years, there is no doubt to me that some of the sins are indescribable, despicable. Of, uh, I understand when we're saying this, we're talking about some of the most gross sins imaginable to forgive and to reconcile. And as gross and as horrific as they are, they're nothing compared, believe it or not, to what our sin amounts to a holy God. And yet he extends forgiveness 
and he seeks reconciliation. So there's just a couple things that we see. Listen to the very end here. He says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. He says, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You know, my prayer this week was like, God, let my life be refreshing to people around me. Can you imagine that? What's his nickname? Refresh. All right, why? Because everywhere he's like a little refresher in the car. He just, you know, everywhere he goes, he sprays and we just feel refreshed every time we're around him. Well, the key is there's no greater way to refresh the saints than demonstrate the gospel out, outwardly by forgiving those who have hurt you and extending grace and mercy and, note this, in seeking to reconcile the best way you can with that particular individual. Here's, here's what I feel. I feel this morning that there are some that have been going through this series and there's some going, man, you know, let's just get over this forgiveness thing because I'm not caught up at all. But yet when I'm talking with people, you hear things like this just out of their mouth. Well, I don't talk to that guy anymore, man. That guy wronged me once. He's not going to wrong me twice. And then they go on, they come into the service, they hear about forgiveness and they're like, I don't have anybody I have to reconcile and forgive with. It's so common that many times we don't even know that we're doing it. It may be something that has, has happened and established and there's a, been a root of bitterness there for years and years and years, but it may be just something as easy as every day that you're a person that holds grudges easy, just easy. People do something, hey man, you're not gonna cross me. I'll love you, but I don't wanna have anything to do with you. Guys, it's not love. It's not forgiveness. It's not reconciliation. Now, the very end of this thing, we're gonna tackle some of those things because all your minds are like, but what if nobody wants to reconcile? Well, as it is up to you, seek to reconcile and have peace with all men. It's funny how the word of God speaks about that, right? Yeah, but what if they just do it again? We'll, we'll deal with that as well. well. We'll try to figure that all out. Is it messy? It's messy. But don't let unanswered questions keep you from sitting there going, hey, God, I'm encouraged this morning. Here's why. Because you have done a work in me. You've done a work in me. The only way to describe it is through you. You've got a long way to go, but you've done a work in me. I've got faith in you. That comes from you. I've got a love for the brothers. God, this through. I've been trying to seek. I'm here because I want to do the will of God. Here's an area to be able to do it. The other encouragement is, and, and, and this is only encouragement to a new believer or a true believer, is, hey, I want to be used of God. I just want to be used of him for his glory. Whatever I have, I just want to be used of him. Well, guess what? Best way to do it is to put the gospel on display by forgiving those who have harmed you and to seek to reconcile with them. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for today. And, uh, and Lord, I, I pray, dear Jesus, that you will use your word to move us, to encourage us in the faith, to seek to forgive and to reconcile. It could be big issues, but it could just be a spirit that we need to have and receive from you every day to be quick to forgive, quick to reconcile. I don't know what it is. God, let the work that you've started in us be completed to the day of Jesus Christ. And that means dealing with this issue. God, there are some that may not know you at all, never initially received that grace, never received that mercy. God, today, if they just cry out to you, cry out to you, say, I'm a sinner. God, save me. I know you died for me in my place. God, that's all it takes. Just cry out for salvation. I know you'll save whoever it is that calls out. And you won't turn any away. God, but for those who are in the faith, 
God, grant us more grace to take the love and the mercy that we have and to turn it outwards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? Altar's going to be open. If you'd like to come and pray to God, thank him, whatever it is. Whatever it is, just do business with him here and now. I'll be down here if you want to pray or if you want to know more about following Christ, all right, as we sing together.